Well, I'm excited to be able to share a message with you this morning. So if you have your Bibles or your iPhones or your iPads or any Apple devices, welcome. Samsung's not welcome here at Anchor Church. Take that stuff back to where you brought it from. Just kidding, just kidding. We love everybody, even, even you guys. Um, but open it up. We're going to go this morning to the book of John, chapter number four. I've uh, got a message that I'm excited about sharing with you entitled, Drink the Water, It's Free. Drink the Water, It's Free. That's what some of you guys do when you go to expensive restaurants. That's what I do with my wife. When we go to an expensive restaurant, I don't know if anybody does this, but before I, we go in, we kind of have a game plan. If it's an expensive place, we're like, okay, don't pick that on the menu, don't pick, because that we cannot afford. We'll have to mortgage our house to be able to afford this, uh, this, this bill. So let's just drink water. And it's a pretty good plan, you know, but it's always awkward because you're like, hey, we'd like some just water. We're healthy people. We like water with lemon and ice, please. And then they go, oh, still or sparkling? And then you're like, uh, no, just the, you know, the tap kind, you know, just the... The normal Joburg stuff, you know, just, uh, just pour that out for us. So you're going to open up at John chapter number 4 and verse 16. John 4 and verse 16. Just a passage of scripture I refer to so many times just in my own life, in my own thinking about the gospel. John 14 and verse 16. I love the Bible. I love how rich it is. And I love how it speaks to my broken heart. I love how the Bible is able to, uh, not, not, not just because it's words on a page, not just because it's stories, but it's because of the person I've met in the Bible. Uh, there's, there, there comes a moment where you might have been reading the Bible for years and years and years, and it's just information. And there comes a point when you're reading the Bible, and instead of seeing information or hearing stories or hearing about things that you're supposed to do or not supposed to do, you start seeing a person. It's like the face of Jesus begins to stand up out of the text. You can literally experience Jesus. I remember the first time my wife and I went to go watch a 3D movie. I think it was Avatar. First time ever in a cinema. Three. How many of you remember that? Come on. That was pretty epic because we were like, what? We get glasses and things come out of the screen. It was amazing. You know, It's the first time in South Africa. We go, we put on the glasses. And we'd been watching movies for years, years and years. We'd always go to the movies. My wife loves movies. We'd always go out and watch movies, and this first time we put on these glasses, and all of a sudden stuff stands out at us, and we're like, you know how people are awkwardly dodging things in the movie, and like kids are trying to touch it, you're like, can I, can I hold the avatar, you know, and it's, and it's just this, uh, this amazing experience, and, and that's kind of what happens when you start to see Jesus and the gospel in the Bible. It goes from being a bunch of stuff that's just information telling you how you're supposed to try and live to you start to see this 3D image of Jesus. It just becomes so real to you. That's what I love about the gospel. It's why I'll always be preaching about Jesus. It's why Anchor Church is all about Jesus and about the gospel. And, um, and this is one of those verses where I just see Jesus standing up out of the text so strongly. Um, and uh, I would like to read it with you this morning. It's John chapter number four and verse 16. I'm just gonna read this first section. We're gonna pray, and uh, then we're gonna, we're gonna talk about thirst a little bit this morning and uh, drinking the water. Jesus said to her, Jesus having this conversation with uh, a woman that he's met in Samaria. Samaria is like this notorious area. It's like the gangster area 
according to the Jews. Those people are outcasts. Those people, they believe differently. They worship on a different mountain. Uh, they try to follow the law, not according to the Jews, but according to their own, uh, their own tribe and their own sect. And, and, uh, and so they're kind of outcasts. And Jews, they have this feud. You know, it's like, it's like gang rivalry, but it's not actually gang rivalry, just so you know. But it's like that. And you even see this. At one time, Jesus sends his disciples ahead, and he says to them, uh, he says to them, go find us some place to stay in Samaria. They're on their way to Jerusalem, and Jesus says, go find us a spot where we can stay. And all the Samaritans, kind of like me looking for a church venue, all the Samaritans just go, you're a Jew, you can't stay here. They just get turned down everywhere. And Peter just gets so mad, kind of how mad I was when everybody said, no, we can't have church in their venue. And, and, uh, and, 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 and Peter comes back to Jesus, and he says, they won't let us stay here. And he says, this, he says should I call fire? down from the sky on them and just consume them all. That's Peter's solution to not giving, given, being given a place to stay. He was probably hungry, thirsty, tired. I'm sometimes like that. Like if I don't have a place where I can just sit down, I'm like, let's just call down fire on this place and burn everything down. And that's what Peter did. He says, let's burn down everybody. Jesus looks at Peter. He must be thinking, Peter, what are you talking about? We're not going to kill all these people because they don't give us a place to stay. And Jesus says, Jesus says this, he says, I didn't come to destroy men's lives, I came to save them. I came to save people, not destroy them. But that's kind of the animosity that exists between the Jews and the Samaritans, where Peter's just like, just, just burn them all. They don't give us a place to stay, let's just get rid of them. So Jesus, in this text, is speaking to a Samaritan woman. He is having a conversation as a rabbi, as a teacher, he is having a conversation with this woman who comes to draw water at the well. That's the context of this. And Jesus says a few things to her that we'll get to now in a moment. But in this passage, in verse 16, he says, it says, Jesus said to her, go and call your husband and come here. Jesus has already seen something spiritually in this lady that he is aware of. And this is how he makes her aware that he knows. He says this, he says, go and call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying that I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you, are, you now have is not your husband. She's living with another guy. What you have said is true, Jesus says to her. And you can imagine this woman, Jesus has just read her mail. Jesus has just seen spiritually something in her, a brokenness, a longing, a thirst. That's evident in her. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. I, I can see that you're from God. I can see that you're hearing from God directly because you just told me my own story. You see my brokenness. You see my failings. You see my shortcomings. You see the mess that I've made of my own life. You see the times that I have failed. I can see that you're a prophet. And we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning and, and talk about the thirst that we have as people and how Jesus quenches that thirst. So let's, let's just pray together for a moment and just thank Jesus for this time. Father, we thank you so much that we get to just humble ourselves before your word, Father. We thank you that we are not hearing information or, or theology or, or just some intellectual reasonings, Father, but Father, that we experience you this morning, that you stand up out of your word, and Father, that your spirit speaks to every one of our hearts this morning. Lord, we pray that wherever there is still brokenness in our lives, God, that you would speak courage, that you would speak faith, and that you would speak the gospel to every heart this morning. We pray that not a single person would leave here today not having understood and come to know the great love 
that you have for us. We thank you, Jesus, that you're the one who quenches our thirst. You're the one who meets us in our need. You are at your best when we are at our worst. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. So for a lot of people, 2015 was a very difficult year. Um, I know that for me it was. It was a, a challenging year, a very stretching year, a year where I went through some stuff that I never thought I'd go through and, and, and managed to make it through by the grace of God. I, I saw even this little video clip online, uh, which was kind of like, this is what my 2015 was like. And there's a little kid sliding down a slide. And in the beginning, he's sliding down fine. But as he goes down, he starts catching a bit of like a wobble and he hits his head all the way down on both sides, just knocks his head. Like that was 2015 for a lot of us. We're sliding down good. And then all of a sudden, we're just knocking ourselves out the rest of the way, just like fumbling over the line. You know, so one of those guys that runs 100 meters and for 80 meters is perfect. But then he tries to lean a little bit too much and he loses balance and, and he ends up doing a little dive over the line and, and losing his balance. And for a lot of us, we were just diving for the line at 2015. Uh, I know that I was. I couldn't wait. I was like, thank you, Jesus, that year is over. I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for what, I'm lear what I've learned. I'm grateful for how God's grace was working in me, but I'm so glad that it's over and that we're in a new year and a brand new year. But it's moments like that. It's those challenges and those difficulties and those, those difficult things that make you aware of the brokenness that we still have. You know, it's when everything goes well, when everything goes right in your life, it's easy to convince yourself that you're okay. It's easy to convince yourself that you have it all together. But it's when life becomes difficult, it's when life becomes hard, it's when the pressure comes, it's when the stress comes, it's when, when, the, when the workloads come. That's when you begin to see the cracks in your own life. And as much as we can try and hide it, we all are aware of the fact that it's there. And this is actually what keeps a lot of people away from church, keeps people away from Jesus, is simply this. They don't feel good enough to be here. Essentially, people feel ashamed. That's why they run away from God. It's not because they have to go to CrossFit or uh, go run or go do some competition or whatever else they came up with. It's not because they've had a busy week. It's actually because there's a, there's a, if we're desperately honest with ourselves, we understand, all of us, that we don't have it all together. That there's still some area that we, areas that we need God's grace that we're still weak and, and that we, 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 we're imperfect and that we're flawed. And so a lot of people have the wrong idea about Jesus and what he actually came to do on this earth. They have the wrong idea about what church is about. They see church as, and religion as just a means of control and just a crutch that people need to help them uh, you know, get through the difficulties of life. They, they see church and the gospel and the Bible as a book of rules and regulations and stuff that you're supposed to do and, and things that you're supposed to try and be. And a lot of people actually see it as something that takes your freedom away. It's restrictive and, it's, and it, doesn't, it doesn't care about me and it's hard and it's legalistic and it's, and it's a set plan that I'm supposed to try and live by. And because we know that we're broken, when we look at the stuff, I don't know if you've ever read the Ten Commandments. Some people read the Ten Commandments like I read a recipe. I read a, read a recipe and I see what's supposed to happen at the end. And I'm just like, yeah, it's not going to happen. Whatever I'm going to try and make, it's not going to produce that result, right? And some people look at the, at the Bible and the laws and they go, well, there's no way that I can be 100% honest all of the time. 
There's no way that I can't be jealous or envious in my heart. There's no way that, I, that, that I'll always just be able to do what's right. Because I don't know if you've noticed this, knowing what is right and wrong doesn't give you the power to actually do what is right and what is wrong. It's not an issue of knowing right and wrong. We've got a much deeper issue in our hearts that I want to talk about a little bit this morning. People think that Jesus only hangs out with good people. People that have their act together and that never struggle in life and that have it all figured out. But the truth is, is the reason why Jesus came is because the Bible says he saw us. He saw us. He saw more than what we pretend. He saw more than, than who we pretend to be and, and how we pretend to have it together. He saw our brokenness. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ came to die for us. That's the love of God. That's how God showed his love, by sending his son, Jesus. And that's what Jesus did all of the time while he was on earth. He was just hanging out with broken people. The religious guys who thought they had it all together, Jesus didn't hang out with them. He didn't hang out with them. He went to the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the gangsters and the thugs and the outcasts. Jesus is a friend of sinners. He's a friend of sinners. He's a friend of broken people. He's a friend of lost people. He loves us in spite of those things. Because his love is true. It's unconditional. That's the best thing about God, the heart that he has for us. So Jesus is always hanging out with these people that the rest of society would never want to hang out with. The bad boys and, 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 and the prostitutes and, and just these thugs. And the Pharisees, the religious people, they complain about it. They're like, why is Jesus hanging out with these people? He's supposed to be a rabbi. He's supposed to stay away. The, the rabbis literally believe, the Pharisees, that coming into contact with people that, uh, that were unclean or that weren't uh, you know, good followers of the law would literally contaminate you. That's why they would wash their hands so specifically before they ate and had certain rules about how they handled food because if they had been out in the, amongst the common people and they came home, they had to wash all the evil all of, off of them. But Jesus just goes and he hangs out with them. At one point, he's sitting at the house of Lazarus and the Bible says Jesus was reclining at the table. That's not Jesus there to deliver a message. That's Jesus hanging out. That's the best translation, reclining, hanging out. That's the... Greek to English translation. Jesus is hanging out with this guy, having a meal, just, just spending time. That's the heart of God towards people like us. I don't know if you've noticed this in your own life, but we always seem to be thirsty for more. No matter how much we get, we never seem to be quite satisfied in life. I just drove back from a holiday with my family, um, I arrived back actually on Friday afternoon, Friday evening, and uh, I spent plus minus 10 or 12 or 13 hours in the car with a, a four-year-old and two two-year-olds, right? It, it, I needed lots of grace. We had a tire blowout on our trailer, then we had a, a stone crack my windscreen, then we had like tons of rain. I got pulled over by the cop three times. Who gets pulled over by the cop three times? Two for inspections, one for a ticket. Um, and, uh, 
And, uh, and it's always, again, that awkward moment where they're like, so what is your occupation? I'm like, <clears throat> pastor. <clears throat> yeah. And he's like, sorry, what? No, po- I'm a pastor, yeah. Uh, I've got to think out like another name for that as well when I get tickets. Uh, yeah, anyway, so, so I, all of that stuff. And, and while we were driving in, my, in the car, at one point we had no more water. And my boy Eli, he just says, Dad, I, I need water. I, need, I want water. And we're just like, we don't have any water. We don't have any water with us. And he's like, but I, Dad, I, I'm telling you, I need water. And we're going, no, but we don't have any water for you. And he, he goes like this. He goes, Dad, I am going to die. I need water. It's like a little bit severe, a little bit extreme. Um, but that's how we feel. Like we're going to, we, we just feel like we're not living life to the full. We always have this gnawing fear that we're missing out on life. You go on holiday and you watch other people having holiday going, I wish I was having as much fun as they are having. Have you ever done that? Some of you were in Joburg, you were doing that on Instagram, like, mm, the beach, I'd love to be there. So we have a thirst in us, all of us, that we're never quite able to quench. When I thought about this, I thought about this video, some of you may have seen it online, of a guy that's that's showering in a, like a public shower and he's trying to wash his hair. It's like a beach, one of those beach showers. And he's trying to rinse his hair. There's shampoo on his hair. And uh, he rinses it off. But every time it's just about rinsed, uh, a friend of his comes with some shampoo and pours it on the back of his head. So when he rubs it, it's just like more shampoo. And so he rinses it. And every time it's like about done, the guy just puts more shampoo and more shampoo. And eventually he literally, and I just laugh, the guy just cries out in frustration. He's like, ah, sh- it just doesn't go away. And he doesn't know that this guy's just pouring more and more shampoo on the back of his head. But it's kind of like that. Like no matter what we do to try and get rid of this thirst that we have for life and for meaning and for purpose and for substance and for something that's that's just full that's just something that's that's substantial in life it just feels like the thirst doesn't go away maybe you felt that way before i'm always running after something always looking for something to to make me feel content that's a thing contentment doesn't sound like this incredible thing but can you imagine just being content just with what you have, what you go through. Paul says this amazing thing in Scripture. We all know Philippians 4.13, which is this well-known Scripture, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? And we, we print that on little things, and we put it on our, none of you have bumper stickers, I think, but you, if you've ever had, you had one of those. And, uh, and, and, and we put it up on signs in our, in our office or whatever that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But we must read the verses that go before that. Because you know what Paul actually says in those verses? If you read from Philippians 4.11, he actually says, I know how to be in lack. And I know how to have plenty. He says, I know how to be abased and I know how to prosper. And in all things, all things, whether I'm I'm doing well, whether life is great, whether I, I had the best year of my life or whether I'd just been through 2015, I have learned this one thing. I have learned to be content because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's about the sufficiency of God's grace regardless of what you're going through. You see, some people think that living a perfect life 
is the thing that's going to give you, or having the perfect life is what's going to make you happy. You know, I was thinking about Pharrell Williams. Every time I hear that song, I start singing along, you know, the, about happiness being the truth. I'm not going to sing it because you'll all leave. But, but, you know, how he goes, you know, clap along if you feel like happiness is the truth. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, wait, no, I don't believe that. Because I actually don't think that being happy is truth. Because that means that whatever makes me happy, what I feel is going to make me happy, that's just what I'm going to do. And that is the philosophy of our age. Right? Let's just do what makes us happy, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. You know who it's hurting? You. It's hurting you. Because we're running after stuff. You see, a... A life that is satisfying is not a life that is pain-free or perfect, but it's a life that's filled with purpose, regardless of the pain, filled with purpose and the presence of God. That's what gives you satisfaction. So you can have the roughest year of your life. Sometimes in this last year, I felt like when you go to the beach and you jump into the waves, and this one wave, you just catch it wrong, and it's way bigger than you thought, and it just rolls you. It rolls you in, your sa- in the sand. It puts sand in your underpants. That's what that wave does. And you just don't know which way is up or down. You just... It's in those moments that we're still living a full life. It's not pain-free, but it's full of purpose. And that's the one thing I've always asked of God. Like, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not asking for, to live a perfect life or a life that's just amazing or everything just goes right. But I am saying to God, one thing I don't want is to get to the end of my life and found out that I wasted it on myself. That it wasn't filled with something that matters. That's why we're here. We're here because we want to do something that matters. We're here because we want to reach people that have not been reached. We want to share the love of God. We want other people to know this goodness that we have found in Christ, this purpose. But we struggle to be content. And so we look for things to quench our thirst. This is the thing. You're thirsty. And you're going to drink whatever you can find when you're thirsty. That's how a lot of people, when they get shipwrecked out in the ocean, they get into a little boat and it's the most ironic death you could possibly die because you're dying of thirst surrounded by water. You're dying of thirst surrounded by water. And eventually what happens is people think there's no ways it can be that bad. It's liquid. And I, I, I can't even imagine. I heard the story recently of a, of a, of a, of a marine uh, corporal that fell overboard from an aircraft carrier. And uh, he had no life jacket with him. He had nothing and they, they put on a search party for him. 24 hours later, they called it off. They said, there's no way somebody can go that long treading in this sea um, and, and make it. So they called the, the, the search party off. 72 hours later, he was found by four Pakistani fishermen. He was still alive. He had made a flotation device out of his pants <laughs> and, uh, and was just hanging onto it for dear life. And they took him out of the water and his mouth was literally just parched. His tongue was cracked. He was completely, just completely dehydrated. Two years later, they interviewed him on NBC, uh, this guy called Joey Mora, and they asked him, this, they asked him the question, what was the most uh, difficult thing about that time you spent in the water? And he said, the thirst. 
the thirst. He was like, literally your brain is just screaming out all of the time, I need water. And if you drink the seawater, a lot of people develop dementia and you start losing your mind from drinking this and it makes you more thirsty. That's the thing. It makes you, and I, this, I was just on holiday now and I got some sunblock in my mouth. I thought I'd rinse it out with some seawater. It's incredible how salty the sea is. Even if you've forgotten, you go back and you're just like, all of a sudden you're thirsty. And that's what it's like for people that are thirsty in this world is that they, they're surrounded by things that they think, surely this is the thing that's gonna take away my thirst. And they take a big gulp of it and, and they're just like, this makes me more thirsty. It makes me more thirsty. And so we try achieving success in our careers. That's the thing that it's all about. Go and study hard, get your degrees, get a good job, build up a life, get a nice house, get nice cars, make sure that you can do that. Achieve success, be known, get the accolades, get the awards on the wall. That's the thing that's gonna fulfill me. It's just drinking seawater. If I can get, if I can, if, if I can find the, the right husband or the right wife, the right relationship, that's surely the thing. The right person in my life is going to fulfill me. That's the thing that's going to quench this thirst that I have, this, this unsettled feeling like I'm not really alive, like I'm not really in, is living the way I'm supposed to be living or experiencing the fullness of what I think is supposed to be out there. And so we try relationship after relationship after relationship, and we find that even if we find the one, even if we find that, in, that we're in a happy marriage or we're enjoying the people that are in our lives, it still doesn't quite quench the thirst. We think it's about what we can own what we can buy for ourselves. Maybe we just need a bigger house. This house is just so crammed or so small. Maybe we just need more space or a bigger garden or, or maybe, maybe it's having a family. Maybe it's having kids or, or, or something like that. Whatever, whatever uh, we, we, we look to. But those things cannot ultimately quench our thirst. It can distract us for a while, but it doesn't take the, the thirst away. It just intensifies it. So Jesus says to this woman, okay, go and call your husband. She goes, uh, yeah, I don't have one right now. And Jesus, seeing into the spirit, he just goes, yeah, yeah you, you've had five, and the guy that you're with now is not your husband. You know what Jesus is saying? You're thirsty. You're thirsty. And you're looking to quench your thirst in the wrong places. Have you noticed how it doesn't matter what you, if you, you can get a brand new car right now and it's just like, this is amazing. The smell and, and just how amazing it is. And a year later, it's just like, just like chuck your McDonald's onto the passenger seat. It's just like, it's old now. It wears off. The excitement that's there wears off. You get back down to, oh, this is real life. Everything that we can try to drink in this world ultimately makes us more thirsty. It doesn't fulfill us. It doesn't satisfy us. This woman was an outcast. She'd been rejected because normally women in the area would come and collect water early in the morning around the ninth hour, which is about 6 a.m. in the morning. They would come and, and, and draw water or 9 a.m. in the morning, they would draw water, and, and, and they would go again in the evening if they needed more water, but nobody, this is the Middle East we're talking about, nobody goes to draw water in the middle of the day. 
And the Bible says about the sixth hour, which literally is noon, 12 o'clock, the heat of the day, this woman comes by herself to draw water. You know why she's doing that? Because she's an outcast. Because people are talking about her. Because she's already had five husbands and now she's with a guy that she's not even, and maybe some of those husbands had been husbands of other women and it's just a mess and it's just, there's so much talk about her. She's an outcast, she's rejected, she's got a label. And so she's just like, you know what, I won't even, I'll just go to the middle of the day when nobody else will go to the well and I'll go and I'll go get some water. She had failed again and again and again. And this is something important that I wanna say to you this morning that's so important for us to understand. If we understand the root of sin in our lives. The root of sin isn't that we just feel like doing stuff we're not supposed to do. The root of sin is often this desperate knowledge that we are broken and thirsty and trying everything we can think of to quench that thirst. Imagine that how, how that understanding of sinfulness would change the way we reach people in the city. If you saw people that are sinful and that live lives that are in rebellion towards God, not as people who are, who are just trying to be rebellious for the sake of rebellion, but as people who are thirsty. And the gospel is the cup of water that satisfies that thirst eternally. That's what Jesus has put in our hands. That's what he brings to this, this lady. I want to read just the scripture, just the verses before that. In John 4, verse 7, it says, So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, he had been walking for a long while, and he comes and he sits beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, which is noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. This is Jesus. I mean, I can almost hear the desperation there in Jesus' voice. This is Jesus having walked a long way in the heat of the day in the Middle East. He sits by, down by a well. He's got nothing to draw water out of the well. A lady comes and draws it, and Jesus is like, please, water. You know, just, I, I need some water. Jesus is like, give me a drink. He doesn't even add a please there. It says, for his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew what God is giving to you freely, oh my gosh, I, let's not skip over this. If you knew the gift of God and who it is, that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is asking of you, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, listen to this, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Everybody who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. 
You know that whole saying of, you know, give a man a fish and he eats for a day, teach him to fish and he'll catch a lot of fish, I guess. Um, Jesus is saying, I'm not, I don't want to just give you a drink. I don't want to just satisfy you temporarily. I don't want to give you something that's going to wear out like that new car or that new relationship or that, or that new thing you've been holding out for. I'm not going to, this is not going to wear off. What I am going to give you is going to do something on the inside of you that would literally cause an eternal wellspring of quenched thirst, of satisfaction, of fulfillment. Rivers of living water from within your own spirit because of the grace and the presence of God. That's the offer that Jesus makes. That's why I love this verse in, in John chapter number four because first of all, Jesus comes to Samaria. He's a Jew. Who goes to Samaria? Jesus walks into those areas of our lives where we are the most thirsty, the most rebellious, the most broken. He comes to those areas. He comes to us even though we're outcasts, even though we're rebels, even though we're God-haters, even though we're sinful. And he says, I want you to recognize the gift that I have for you, the gift of God. If you ask of this water, you'll never thirst again. Jesus is not trying to get something from you. You know what you have to give Jesus in your own self? Nothing. You have your sinfulness. That's all you have. He comes into your life and he goes, I'm not trying to take something from you. I'm trying to give you something. And from the water that comes forth, our lives change. And then we're able to, to serve God and worship God. But it's all because of the grace that he put inside of us. It's not because we become good people. This is important to know. The gospel is not about taking bad people and making them good. The gospel is about taking dead people and making them alive. Thirsty people and causing rivers of living water to come forth. This is why Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, he says, Satan comes to kill and to steal and to destroy. The enemy comes. The devil comes against you. He wants to steal from you. He wants to lie to you. He wants to, to rob you of your life. But this is what I have come to do, Jesus says, to give you life and life in abundance, more full, substantial, hearty, just, you can just, it's like a big block of cheese, you can just take a bite of, out of it, just so dense, the life that God has for us. I came to give you not just a little bit of life, not just some rules, hey, please follow these rules, please try hard to be better, I want to give you a full life. We were thirsty because we were cut off from God. That's where our thirst comes from. We were created by the Father, and then we rebelled against Him, and then we got thirsty. He is the source of life, and we turned our back on the source of life. Even atheists, I often say atheists are people who don't believe in God and cannot stop talking about Him. I heard Matt Chandler speaking about this, and he said, you know, I don't believe in unicorns, but you never hear me sitting in my room or typing out on Facebook, unicorns, mm, they irritate me so much. I hate unicorns. I don't need to do that because they don't exist. 
G.K. Chesterton said if there was no God, there would be no atheists. There's something in our hearts that cries out to be reunited with our Creator. But what stood in the way of us being reconnected with God is our sinfulness. It's our rebellion. We didn't want to turn to God. And that's why God sent Jesus to the cross. That's why Jesus endured the cross. That's why it's all about what Jesus did for us on the cross. And there's this amazing verse that I want to go to just in a moment. But before I say that, you can just imagine. Jesus had been brought to trial. He had been beaten up. He had been whipped. He had been locked up from the night before. 6 a.m. in the morning, he was already before Pontius Pilate. First, he was whipped 39 times, which is called one from death. He had been through all of that agony. Then he had been put back on trial, and, and, and eventually they said, no, that's not enough. We need to crucify him. And, and they took Jesus, and they, they beat him, and they whipped him, and they mocked him, and they put a crown of thorns on his head, and, and they wrapped him around, and they, they, they took the cross, and they gave him his own cross to carry, and they marched him through the streets of Jerusalem with people spitting on him and mocking him, and, and he's carrying this heat of the day, and he's carrying this cross, carries it up a hill. They got Peter, uh, uh, one guy, to help him for a while, carry it up, and, and, uh, and he gets to the top of this cross. They nail him to that cross, and he hangs there for three hours on this cross. Three hours. And around the ninth hour, the Bible says, before Jesus died, he says this. In John 19, verse 28, it says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, that he had done what God had called him to do, he said this to fulfill the scripture. He says, I thirst. I thirst. Thirsty. Jesus' thirst was definitely physical at that time, but it was more than physical, it was spiritual. Because in that moment, the Bible tells us that God turned his back on Jesus. The Father judged him, separated himself from his own son so that we can be forgiven. We're thirsty. And Jesus goes onto the cross and he takes all of our thirst. He drinks every sip of the wrath of God. He turns over the cup and says, it's finished. He took the thirst that we have upon himself so that we can receive the relationship that he had with the Father before he was judged for our sin. And so they take a sponge, they dip it in some vinegar and sour wine, and they put it on a, on, on, on a stick and they give it to Jesus on the cross. And Jesus takes some of that sour wine. I mean, can you imagine you're thirsty and someone gives you vinegar? It's like, just get some water. But anyways, they give him some, some vinegar and it was meant to dull the pain a little bit. And, and he takes some of that because he had something important to say before he died. You know what the last thing it was? He takes that thirst, he takes that sponge, he, he drinks some of that, that sour wine and he goes, it is finished. It is finished.
your thirst. It's finished. Your separation from God. It's finished. Your brokenheartedness. It's finished. Your lostness. It's finished. It's dealt with. The stealing, the robbing, the pillaging that Satan has done in your life, the ways in which he has tried to kill you and to destroy you, Jesus goes, I've taken this thirst. It's finished. I've come to fulfill you. It's God's invitation to all of us. In Revelation 22, verse 17, if you ever want to, I don't know if some of you do this when you're reading a book, you turn right to the back and quickly read how it ends. I've done that sometimes. I just feel like the suspense is too much. I just want to see if everything's okay. Okay, it's okay. I'll go back and read it further. You do that with the Bible. One of the last verses in the Bible is an invitation that says the Spirit, the Spirit of God. God says this. The bride, the church says. This is our message to the city of Joburg. Come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Drink the water. It's free. This is the crazy thing about the gospel. It's free. You don't have to buy this water. It's not like those very expensive bottles of water that you buy at the restaurant. This is free water. It's the best water. It's a water that reproduces an eternal wellspring of life within you, and it is free. Come. If you're thirsty, this is the invitation of Jesus. Come. Come drink. It's free. Without price. Let the one who is thirsty come and drink without price. That is God's invitation to all of us. And it is as a church, it is our invitation to the world. We see people not as bad or good, but as thirsty. It's not earned. It's given freely by the grace of God to those who believe. One last story I want to tell you from the Old Testament, this crazy thing that happens with Moses. Moses has just led a couple million Israelites out of the, the bondage and slavery in Egypt, and they're wandering through the wilderness. Can you imagine how thirsty you are? My wife and I, we visited the UAE uh, earlier this year, and it is hot. It is so hot. We got off that airplane, and it's like being punched in the face with something that's very hot. Um, and you just struggle to breathe. And, and, and we were like, wow, is this what it was like? Can you imagine walking with your kids and just your family and everybody, and you just don't even know where you're going. You're going in circles. You're walking through this wilderness in this heat. So they're thirsty. So Moses prays. He says, God, we need water. We are so thirsty. So they come to a rock. And God says to Moses, strike the rock, and water will come forth from it. And Moses takes his staff, and he hits the rock. And all of a sudden, water bursts forth. You know, there's such a powerful image, and later on in Corinthians, it tells us that that rock was Christ. It's Jesus. That was a prophecy of what God would do. You know why? Jesus is the rock, and as he was struck on the cross, the water came forth. The water that quenches our thirst. 
And so they, they drink, amazing, water out of a rock. They drink. They come to another rock. And God says to Moses something different. He doesn't say strike the rock again. He says, speak to the rock. Speak to the rock. And I'll bring forth water. And you know what Moses does? He doesn't trust God. He strikes the rock again. And so on that day, God says, you can't enter the promised land. You can't enter the promised land. Now, this is what it's saying. Listen very carefully. This is like, whoa, weird, speaking to rocks. This is what it's saying. When Jesus died on the cross, he declared it is finished. The water is already available. But what we do is we drink from Jesus and we go, okay, that was great. But now I need to do something to earn my, uh, God's grace. Now I need to do something to quench some of my thirst again. And you know what we do? We strike the rock again. In other words, what I'm saying to you this morning is that the water is free and it is already yours. You don't need to earn it or strike the rock. The rock has been struck. His name is Jesus and the water is available. We just need to trust God. Just speak it. It's there. It's already yours. What is it that you need in your life? What is it that you're holding on to? What is that thirst that you're desperately trying to quench? Look at the sufficiency. Just speak. It's not earned. My final scripture this morning, John 7 verse 37, it says, On the last day of the feast, Jesus is sitting through this whole feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. This is not Jesus saying something quickly, just by the by, I just have a quick announcement. Jesus gets up, they're having this feast, they're, they're so thirsty, they're running off the religious things, and Jesus stands up and he says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. Anyone believes, just come. You're thirsty? Come to Jesus. You're a rebel? You're outcast? You're broken? All of us are. Come to Jesus. And he gives us water. When we put our faith in what Jesus has done for us, he gives us the satisfaction of our souls. And the gospel holds our eternal fascination. It's not like a car that gets old. Every time, that's why I get emotional. Every time I think about how faithful God is and how unfaithful I am, I'm overwhelmed again by how good the gospel is. And so we're, we're satisfied quenched, we're full. And so now we get to live lives where we're not running after stuff the whole time, but we're building things that matter. We're serving a city. We're loving people. We're giving our lives to things that, that really have value. And it's amazing. <laughs> it's an amazing life. It's an amazing life giving your time, giving your money, giving your, your heart, your soul, your everything, your family, your, just giving it to see other people blessed and touched and changed. It's an incredible life, far more fulfilling than anything else you can drink. I guarantee you that. So the simple invitation, and this is, 
So this is what I felt Jesus said. Yeah, I knew we were moving into a bigger venue. I knew that this year there's a lot of challenges and a lot of things that I can genuinely stress about. If I had to sit down with you and, and have, a, have a chat about some of the th things, there's some stuff I'm genuinely could be stressing about. You know what I had Jesus say so clearly to me? Just come sit at my feet. Just come rest. Just speak to the rock. And all of a sudden, there was this peace that came over me. The Bible says a peace that surpasses understanding. You shouldn't be peaceful right now, but you are. Because there's rivers of living water on the inside of you.